Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinus. Makalua. The main team. Mega Bears fan. Welcome to episode 360 of the Polycast. I'm Makalua, and with me again, Dan Q. And the sun is shining. Oh yeah, not here in Texas today, unfortunately. <clears throat> the Mean Team. Bringing that special warm feeling to you. Is it a nuke? Well, <laughs> maybe. Mega Bears fan. Why aren't things working? Why has YouTube forsaken me? I think the question I don't know. you should be asking is why has it not forsaken you before now? Yeah, yeah I feel like a lot of people have asked that question at one point or another regarding YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Especially regarding streaming. Yeah. You know what our mistake is? Getting emotionally invested. That's the problem. That's the problem yeah. right there. Wow. See? Yeah. That's right. If you never love, you can never lose. <laughs> Just never love tonight, anyone Dan. or anything, and you'll be perfect for the rest of your life, except you'll be really lonely and sick. <laughs> well, listen. Well, well, you're you're failing, Ben. You're not supposed to have emotions like that. <laughs> what kind of robot are you? Things would be predictable then, Mackie. <laughs> I'm so the neat put... kind of robot you don't know isn't human. <laughs> so that can be one item in the positive column, many in the negative column, but at least it would be a constant. Show you consistency. <laughs> I'm hey. sure you would if I gave you the opportunity. So, wow, haven't heard that one for a while. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we, we got some actual feedback from the uh, last live stream, uh, which is the source of my frustrations with YouTube at the moment, because uh, one of the complaints was uh, audio balancing, which uh, has been a, a problem uh, for the entire year, I think, so far, where some of us are way too quiet and others are way too loud. And it's uh, not good for the live streamers. Well, I thought I had fixed that by tweaking volume levels but now the stream might not be working at all so we may or may not be live right now i don't know everything on my end says it's working but everyone else uh here all of our other uh, co-hosts said they went to the youtube channel and it says it's not live so maybe we're live and people can listen maybe we're not i don't know but anyway we got uh, uh a comment uh from uh what was his name steve spain uh from episode 359 uh, with some other things besides technical issues. Uh, what a, a series of questions. I don't know if we're going to go through every single one of these, but uh, I guess we can start with uh, uh, him asking, how good are the devs at playing one game, and how does it impact their design strengths and flaws? Uh, how much have they learned from the development of AI in other areas, as well as their own past? And are there games in the genre which do AI or aspects thereof better with the same or greater level of complexity? With the follow-up question being, does uh, the community modding make the AI better? Uh, so I guess we'll, we can feel that one first. Uh, I don't know. How good do we think Paraxis is at playing Civ? Do we have evidence in their case? I haven't seen a lot. Um I would imagine that, like every previous iteration of Civ, the elite players are way better than the devs. 
but that the devs would win on the at least the middling difficulties pretty easily would be my guess. Uh, but I don't know for sure. Maybe they have some people who just like string deity wins. And I'm sure it probably varies from individual developer to individual developer. I mean, we oh, are for talking sure. about a, for sure. a team of dozens of people. So, and probably not even all of them are necessarily gamers. I mean, there could be guys who are, you know, or, well, sorry, not guys, but guys or gals there who are just programmers and it's just a job, like for all we know, and they don't even play games. Who knows? Yeah. Or maybe they are all hardcore strategy gamers and they, you know, play every, you know, game that comes out and manage to do that despite having a nine to five or longer job. Because uh, my understanding is uh, video game companies uh, tend to exploit their workforces uh, quite a lot and make them work like 60, 80 hour weeks regularly. I really hope that doesn't happen at Firaxis, but it's a pretty common practice at a lot of developers, especially as they near release and enter the so-called crunch I would imagine that when at least the devs who are making design decisions, there's some expectation that they play the game and know it. One would uh, but certainly wouldn't so. need that for everything that's being worked on on the game. Like if you're like making art assets or um, in principle, audio. yeah, audio for sure, that kind of stuff, you, you wouldn't need any gameplay experience whatsoever to be even very good at it. Yeah, Play testers don't necessarily, or the the bug testers, you know, QA people don't even necessarily have to be good at the game because you know the way that QA testing works is uh, they are just playing the like exact same game situation or save file repeatedly, trying to replicate bugs. Whether or not they're actually playing the game with any degree of expertise is irrelevant to finding bugs. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you would just need a baseline understanding of how the mechanics are supposed to be working, and that's right. about all you need. Yeah, for them. It helps to have a bit more nuanced understanding. Uh, they would probably make their job faster, but you wouldn't need it to do it well. Yeah, there's probably certain developers on the team that do the high level, like putting together the systems and things like that, who probably would play at a higher level because they have the understanding of how the systems work together and stuff. But yeah, a lot of the average guys doing the programming, other things, it could be anywhere from noob to probably it might be a deity player in there somewhere. I don't know. I remember the the Sif Four dev saying that they didn't have anybody that could play like the uh, the people did, like the the best players did. Well, that would not surprise some me. Some of the air quote fixes that are not exactly you know, it fixes some things, but then it makes it worse for other things. You know. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you get patches that change things that kind of suggest that the the people doing the design in that moment don't know the game that well. Um, the Sif Four. Uh, Patch to the protective that broke overflow is a good example of that. Uh, but even in Civ 6, I don't know. Sometimes the balance changes are a little head scratching, but I don't think um, no, nothing comes to mind in Civ 6 that's as egregious as the 3.19 patch in Beyond the Sword. So that's good at least. So I think in that, that respect, the, I was going to say, I think in that respect from the. Game as well? Yeah, it was the final patch for that game, yeah. Yes, unfortunately. So maybe from that, seeing as how we didn't see something similar to that in Civ Five and presently in Civ Six, I think they have learned from their development. <laughs> as for how well they play the game, like Phil said at the outset of this particular topic, we don't have really any meaningful evidence behind that. There's anecdotal things, such as watching some live streams that they've done in the past, more for Civ Five than necessarily Civ Six. But then yeah, again, those, those are, are really hard that, to gauge, though, because a lot of times well, that's just marketing stuff. So they're just playing is, to demonstrate the features, to show not off necessarily, things. yeah, playing to show competence. We also know that uh, Fraxis has said that, well, we're not really designing the AI to win, so we're designing them to just 
play to try to interact with the mechanics and somehow seemingly have it, you know, come together. So Which I still, well, that's a cop out. They, they do say that and it's, it's a cop out. And I will say that every time it comes up, that it is not solid design at all. And it cannot be. Oh, I thought you were going to say, Dan, that's not a valid argument to bring into this conversation. I was going to be like, hey, now, okay, you went a different Well, the, right? the argument <laughs> the devs make isn't valid. Oh, okay, yeah. Because um, the, pro- the problem is, like, if you have an inconsistency between behavior and mechanic, and the, you don't like the behaviors that arise from your mechanical rules, you have a problem with your mechanical rules, and you should fix your mechanical rules. Um, but the devs don't see it that way, and they're wrong in this particular case. As for how well they play the game, of course, that depends on, well, tying into a little bit of that, how are they measuring, and even how is Steve Spain measuring how well they play their own game? Is that to, in fact, victory conditions? Is that to their own victory conditions? What difficulty levels? What Competitive series, MP? What map types, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, multiplayer versus <laughs> single player. So that's a really actually difficult question to answer. I mean, we do know that they have said that, and we've seen photographic evidence, at least in the past, that look at all these other games that they have in their studio and the developers have a chance to play them and see what can be learned from those games. And well, I don't think there's, there's really <laughs> nothing we can say that's in an inherently unique in Civ in terms of necessarily mechanics that we see influences from other games, both computer, video, and board, quite honestly. To be fair, I have a lot of books on the bookshelf right behind me, but that does not mean that I have read all of them or even maybe any of them eyes darting no. back and forth no it's true it's true it may very well just be a nice backdrop you know and that's <laughs> it, it decorates your furniture in your office etc uh as for the does the modding community make the ai better mm, i think that's a bit subjective better in terms of i don't know the ai being able to play in order to win i, I the well, we, we don't have is, access. The, the mod community in civ 5 and 4 both civ 4 and 5 really drastically improved the AI. Like it, it, they did such a good job that like it's as close to as objectively improved as you can get without like being outright objectively improved. It, it, they really strengthened it considerably in both games. I have not checked for Civ 6. I assume though that those mods were probably written when the source code was released. So, and the source code, as far as I know, has not yet been released for Civ 6. So I don't know how much the modders even can do at this point with AI, because a lot of that's probably in the, the C++ distribu- distributables. And, you know, I don't know how much you can do through just, you know, Lua scripting hooks. I think Lua is still the scripting language they're using for this one. I, I haven't done any modding for Civ 6. I did a little bit for 5, but so I don't know what the differences are. I know Civ that they, is... they said Civ 6 was supposed to be more user-friendly, and there were supposed to be more scripting hooks to allow yes. the... Uh, the modders to do more complicated things without the um, the, the source code DLLs, but I, I don't know how extensive that allows AI modification. I think it's a little early to say that for Civ 6, seeing as how it's a game that for all intents and purposes seems to still be in development, because how many times is it that, hey guys, remember that mod I came out with? Yeah, the patch came out and it broke it. Hey, I fixed right. it. I just fixed it in time. Hey, the new patch came out on oh, it, broke it. So, <laughs> yeah, and there, of... and there might also be, even oh. if it's possible, there might be a lot of modders who just aren't doing those sorts of things because they're worried about exactly that. I don't want to spend, you know, however many hours and all my sweat and tears and labor making a mod for for access to release a patch a week later that completely breaks everything, and now I got to go back and read. You know, yeah, this and this is not to denigrate modders who, for example, I'm just releasing artwork. But having that impacted by a patch in the future is nowhere near as likely as someone who's gone and made a modification to a mechanic. Uh, oh, I had game. a 
I, I mean, case in point, back in Civ Five, I was actually working on a, a fairly large scale mod that completely reworked the tech tree. Uh, one of the things that they had support for in the the um, modding for Civ Five, and I don't want to go too much into this and turn this into modcast, uh, but they actually <laughs> had support in the modding for Civ Five for and slash or. Uh, tech prereqs in Civ 5 on the tech tree. So if you remember in Civ 4, ah. there were a lot of techs where you could research like one prereq or the other and you would unlock the next tech instead of always having to research both. Well, they had support for that in Civ 5 in the modding and I actually had rearranged and re rewrote the entire tech tree uh, for the vanilla game to uh, support that. And when I was like 75% like through, they released, uh, I think it was uh, Brave New World I don't, I don't remember which ex it was one of the expansions. It was it was either or they announced it. They didn't release it. They announced it. And I saw that the tech tree was going to change. And I stopped work on that mod waiting for the expansion to come out. And then when the expansion came out, I started, you know, doing the same thing for the uh, uh, expansion pack. But then everything exploded to be so much work that I never actually got around to finishing and releasing it because I ended up running into like a handful of little bugs that I was never able to fix and I didn't want to release it with those bugs still in the mod, so it never got released. And Steve Spain kind of acknowledges, you know, modders make the game A great, where it was launched quote-unquote okay, and interesting in between expansions because of the diversity of ways in playing the game offers. And I think given the popularity of modders' excellent work, then leaving the access to the code for so long is just silly, because there are desires of end users which just aren't available given the limitations at present, quote-unquote. And yes, that's absolutely true, and hopefully that does change at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's not of interest to me, modding specifically, in terms of getting involved in that, and part of that is just time, and part of that is my own sense of competency of doing such a thing, but I'm definitely not going to try to presume that, oh, since I'm not involved in it, it's not important, or it's not had a significant impact on Civ, because it has, because it does extend the longevity for those looking for something different, and those people that want to flex their creative muscles, they want to try something different. And quite honestly, a lot of modders say, I actually have no idea how to play the base game. I only play my mod. So there's there's room <laughs> for everybody there. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. as for the next part of the message, dot, dot, dot from Steve Spain. Yeah, so uh, I mean, he also uh, talks a little bit about the, you know, the actual corporate responses from Paraxis, the, you know, sometimes long droughts of information followed by, you know, tons of information when they actually make announcements. And he says that, uh, you know, he doesn't buy the damned if you do, damned if you don't uh, excuse and feels it's kind of a scapegoat. I don't know if that's necessarily worth talking about here because that's going to be a matter of opinion. Uh, and I think we already talked about that the last time anyway. Uh, but then I just he also... Wanna, well, I just want to say on that, that by the very fact that you're bringing that up, Steve Spain, I, I think, in fact, they are damned if they do, if they're damned if they don't, because you brought it up. And to be clear, it wasn't my... Defending 2K and Fraxis not saying something. It was just trying to think about why haven't we heard anything since September 2019. Well, and, and, and the other excuse would be, you know, take like like companies are very hesitant about releasing early information for something that's in development because the thing's going to change considerably. I mean, like look at you know recent examples like something like No Man's Sky, right? The uproar about all the features that were promised that weren't in the game, and you know it, with the questions of whether or not uh, the No Man's Sky developer was like actively lying and misleading the public about what was going to be in the game, or whether it was just stuff that got 
uh, you know, scrapped because they weren't going to be able to finish it? Did did Sony put pressure on them to release it early to meet some deadline, and they couldn't put in the mechanics that they were planning I, on putting in? Like, I, I want to say that's that's not really apples to apples when it comes to like that versus this, though. Yeah, I would at least like for Firaxis to, you know, have confirmed like, you know, six months ago or something that, hey, you know, we are still planning updates on the game. You know, we're not abandoning it. Uh, you know, it's it's not done so that, you know, like I said last time, I could I know whether or not to take those disclaimers off my strategy posts on whether the game's still a living game or not. No, they don't like have to advertise features that they will then not be able to include later. They, they can just say like their general direction of what they're working on or whatever. You don't have to make a commitment to the degree no. that No Man's Sky did right. when you're talking about the game. Yeah, and it feels like at some point, once 2K came in and they're published, that they've not let them communicate with the community as much, you know? Yeah, we, there's that too. It might not be Firaxis, it might be 2K. Yeah. Or, or actually, it almost certainly is 2K that's controlling what information, you know, comes out of the studio. Firaxis might want to tell us all about the awesome things that they're working on and planning, and 2K might be like, nope, can't do it. Seems bizarre. I don't know what 2K is <laughs> on about, but I mean, it's not the first time that 2K's done some weird stuff. I mean, we know that there has been no news from Firaxis in September, but there has been Civ news, not just necessarily the Civ news that those of us probably listening to this podcast have, which is being PC Civ users, because there was stuff about Mac and Linux, and in particular, Civ on console platforms. And it may very well have been that 2K is like, okay, stuff's going on behind the scenes for the PC stuff, but maybe they came to the decision that we don't want to try to to muddle the communication and have too many things coming out at once. But yes, I would like to see even Fraxis to say, yes, we're still here. We're working on it. You're going to love it. Maybe tease something, anything, but honestly, just hi, you know, uh, we're, we're still Hi, here. Hi, you're alive. Yes, you saw the depot. Something's going on, but we can't talk yet. But just hang on. We're almost there, you know, something. You had yep. one job. Yep. Well, and, and, need- and another issue, you know, exacerbating circumstance right now is the pandemic. So there could also be the thing where right now, maybe Firaxis and 2K would like to be able to tell us, you know, what's going on. But they have no idea when or if the stuff is even going to come out because maybe there's been, you know, disruptions to, you know, the company and development that, you know, we are not privy to. So, you know, who, who knows? Like a lot of stuff is just up in the air right now. It's true. Uh, But yes, so uh, Steve Spain then goes on to provide uh, like actual feedback about some of the feature ideas that uh, we had talked about, uh, one of which was the idea of plagues that uh, spread from city to city. And he says that, uh, referencing the book Guns, Germs and Steel, that it's such an important part of history and not having it in the game is, quote, a problem uh, for me. Uh, unquote. And then uh, another interesting thing that he brings up is the idea of like latitude and longitude, like having uh, more meaning in the game. And I'm not quite sure what exactly he means by this. I don't know if any of the rest of you know, but, uh, you know, like things like the, I don't know, maybe about differences in temperature and stuff like that, where, you know, soldiers that come from, you know, a Northern European climate and then go and take actions in Africa are going to have a lot harder time acclimating to the environment than, you know, those African well, soldiers. That's not actually How true, do you though. express that, though? Is that like a takes them longer to heal or they get a, a negative to their melee strength or something? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what. There's no substantive basis for that in real yeah. life. So it would be silly to put it in the game. Yeah, I don't know what his sources are or, or what exactly he's thinking here, but um, 
Well, I mean, Steve you could have let us know. more different know. terrains depending on geographic location. That could work. Yeah, there are such things as tundra desert as opposed to the normal Sahara desert that we all tend to think of. And, you know, tropical or, or rainforest climate can also mean Seattle as well as Brazil. You know, it has, yeah, to, it has I, to be like the rainfall, not the temperature. And, and I wouldn't all... mind seeing, a, a, you know, more variations in altitude represented in the game as well, with there maybe being highlands and lowlands and, and plateaus. They did a little bit of that in Gathering Storm with the, the coastal lowlands that will flood. But, I mean, it, as far as I know, it doesn't have any other relevance to gameplay other than whether or not it floods when global warming happens. And what would so you would do with sort of stuff like that in gameplay? You have to remember, the scope of Civ Six is pretty broad and high level. Um like, even some of the worst plagues in history would span a single turn in the early game of Civ Six. Well, again, so you it's have all to be careful with some of this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all abstractions, and I, I I don't ever think that that's nearly as big of a problem as other people make it out to be. Again, citing this example of I've had a scout wandering around exploring for, you know, 10,000 years, so... Yeah, that same guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and Steve, you know, and well, yeah, and Steve Spain is referencing longitude and latitude, and referencing you know, quote unquote, significant European population. So he's basing it on Earth, and of course, most of the maps I expect people play, and most of the map scripts there are they're Earth-like, but they're not so. Earth. So longitude maybe, and latitude necessarily don't have the same meaning either. Yeah, we even right? have one where the pole or the ice cap is in the middle. <laughs> so, and, and maybe he's talking less about like military units and warfare, and more about like actual like settlements, you know, colonies and stuff like that, having issues if the environment is considerably different than where they come from. But again, I don't, I don't know how much precedent in history there is for, for yeah, you know. I, you'd have to have the civs starting always in their, like, historical terrain. Like, Norway needs to start in an ice, or tundra, icy, snowy area, or, <clears throat> you know, and then... Do you know, now what you penalize Norway if they want to go settle where it's a little bit warmer, like just northern Europe, but it's a little bit warmer, so now they get a penalty. That I don't you know. could do something like here's a Might and Magic three did with it, where like you you get a penalty in hostile terrains to you, but then your your home terrain you move normally. You could do something like that. I don't know that Civ really needs that in particular. Some Civs have that as like a bonus power. Like I, I think in Civ five, roughly had some power that related to combat in its its home territory, I think. Yeah. And, and a, like it was the 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 degree of significance it has in Heroes 3 would not be appropriate in the civilization game. Because yeah. there's are the difference between human beings is just not that large. I can buy it with mythological creatures for obvious reasons. Yeah. But I, I don't know, like there's just there's not that much difference between people. There's some difference between people, but not like uh, that. There's and lots of just a saurian species not you know handling invading you know norway or russia in the middle of winter and you know not so much necessarily for a a human population yeah it did have an effect in in actual history but like you know the the russian soldiers suffered just as much as the german soldiers it's just they ended up winning the battles plus like if you're trying to like cross distances and say africa or something the limitations of potable water the limitations of calories available to your soldiers all that like that was a problem for African people, too. And there's a reason that you didn't see invasions across some terrains very frequently in history. Yeah. Regardless of who was leading or in the area at the time. Which kind of leads into right, what Steve Spain talked about in the next, par- next paragraph. 
Yeah, which is uh, the idea of having uh, uh, military units cost population, which we did have in, in Civ colonization, and also the idea of, of both gold and food being an upkeep cost. Actually, an idea that I've considered in the, the past, uh, because I actually think there is maybe some room in civilization for having a, a military and warfare system that's more designed around temporarily levying troops and then disbanding them when you don't need them anymore, rather than maintaining massive armies for the entire game. It's uh, just so tough with the, the turn system and the amount of years involved. Yeah, it, true. I mean... Yeah, it, it would require a lot of reworks. Like, that's not necessarily something you could just plug into Civ Six and, and everything would be fine. But the idea of, of armies needing food and having actual supply lines and stuff like that, um, you know, it, it's something that they've abstracted with the ideas of, like, not being able to, or healing more in friendly territory and healing less in non-friendly territory. So, like, it's in the game, but it's very, very highly abstracted. I think it needs to be though, because like if you get into you get into the weeds on that, you could really get into the weeds on that. Like the constraints of supply for armies varied a lot based on historical period in question. Like it, to the extent that you could not put a single mechanic in the game and accurately represent it in the time span to say you cannot do that. It's impossible. You would have to literally change supply with era, and not only that, but you would have variable supply constraints for nations based on their present technology level. Or would it be based on the units in question? Like, th this is, like, major weeds stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I start thinking about supply lines, and my mind goes to an older Civ-like and real-time title, also a real-time title in the form of Rise of Nations, where there were supply lines. But then it's about the scope of Civ, like Phil is also getting at. And then I think about how is that abstracted? Just like you said, Jason, that healing time that is needed, it's okay. That's about, for example, supply lines getting caught up and soldiers having a chance to rest before they're asked to go into battle again. I mean, you can choose not to heal them. That's also a choice. It's not like, oh, they can't move. They're healing right now. Like, that's that's entirely up to you. It's just within within the scope of the game, I think the abstraction is the better way to go, at least certainly as we are conceiving Civ right now. And as soon as I start thinking about, well, how could we have the supply lines in there? Is it in there? Well, yeah, I mean, there is, you know, there's a, um, oh, what is it? What is it called? The, there's the medic and the supply. The medic, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, modern era, we already have some units that do that. You could, if you went to add this to Civ right now, add some ancient era units that did a similar thing. Well, alternatively, you could rework those units. So maybe the medic and supply convoy unit, or, or the supply convoy at least, works kind of like a trade route where maybe you send it to your frontline military units from a city and it, you know, improves their healing or combat effectiveness or whatever. And then that's something that the opponent actually has an opportunity to cut behind the lines in order to weaken your force. So there, there's maybe some valid strategic uh, things that could go on there. But again, that's yeah, you're, you're talking about, you know, where's the line between the something that's as abstract on the level of the civilization game and something that's that's ne so nitty gritty that it just doesn't work, not only with the scale of the game, but with the turn structure of the game. Or alternatively, you could make the supply convoy be built with food instead of with production. So like there is an indirect food cost to supplying your uh, uh, military unit. So there's ways to do that at the high level of civilization. Yeah, I think yeah. yeah if you did something like that, it could work. It would still be a little silly for some units versus others, but it would work as a broad abstraction if you did something like like that. I mean, right now we even have that with regards to even the healing, there is the the inconsistency, for example. I don't have to say this is a, a bad thing. It's certainly a design choice that, oh, yep, you can tell your land units to heal anywhere, but unless your naval unit is particularly promoted to heal outside of 
you know, friendly territory, uh, it's not going to be able to heal. So maybe is that then a basis to have a supply line? Or do we want to extend what's currently available with the, the later, um, you know, the convoy and the medic, have that be in the game from the beginning so it's not so the unit can heal, which is already kind of abstracting the supply and the medic stuff, and now there's a medic unit to kind of accelerate that? I mean, you could have that be more consistent across the unit types and across the length of the game. That might be interesting. But you got to keep it within the perspective of the scope of the game because when I when I again I read supply lines I think of a game out of a very different scope and also more real time stuff than I think turn based. And then in his last paragraph he had a Canadian moment because he said please huh and it made Dan very happy. That's true. I did. It, it did make me happy. I was like okay we might end up agreeing to disagree on the damned if you do damned if you don't front there Steve Spain but. I, I do agree on the use of the word please. That is it is fantastic. That is green text with me. Green text. <laughs> I know that's more previous Civ titles than this one, but still is. You wanted a co-op victory. Yes, please. <laughs> and also to agree with Phil, I agree meaningful, useful, and accurate user interface should be patched in and not a DLC. Well, yes, anybody who thinks that that should be a DLC. <laughs> well, we're just going to put you over here. Uh <laughs> I didn't say where there was. It might be a better place than us. I don't know. <laughs> Go sit in the opposite corner. Um, and then there was also the, but I can leave it to you here, Jason, where he talks about one of the things that he'd like to see in Civ 7. Whoa, Civ 7. Whoa. I, I think, as I've said before, Civilization 6 has given Fraxis and 2K too much pressure. The next Civ title will be Civ 8. Yes, we finally need to skip a number. We need to do the Microsoft Windows kind of thing and just mess with the numbers. Okay. The actual suggestion. It's Civ Vista. (laughs) Civilization Vista. (laughs) (laughs) No, Civilization Bob. There we go. (laughs) You see, kids. (laughs) Not Bob. No Bob. There you go. The UI could always be worse. We could have Civ Vista. (laughs) Fine. Civilization Clippy. Just just hearing Civilization Vista is like causing some internal cringe. That's impressive. (laughs) I just threw up a little in my mouth. (laughs) Oh, I forgot that muscle twitched that way. Oh, look at that. I feel that. (laughs) Uh, But Steve Spain wants to do away with a certain something that has kind of been, well, integral to Civ since Civ 1 in terms of civilization structures. Yeah, he uh, he posited the idea of, I think, getting rid of uh, leaders or having actual leader rotations where you have internal politics in the, the, you know, your civilization. And that might lead to new leaders being elected or old leaders being deposed and stuff like that, which, you know, is all possibly way too complicated, especially if each of those leaders is going to have an ability. Uh, I think the big issue with having a lot, and I, I would love it. Like I would love if they had more alternate leaders. And I, I think there's actually, you know, a lot of room in the game to actually have leaders change over time, uh, which I, I pitched in the, the last episode. Um, but you, you do run into the issue of there just not necessarily being enough, like known historic figures for certain civilizations compared to others. And then like, if you have mechanics where that's necessary, you run into the problems of, well, can we even include this civilization? Because, you know, we, we have maybe one or two leaders, but if we need 10 of them to make the game work, uh, then, you know, do we have to leave civs out? So it's, that's another thing where it's a, a balancing line between what, uh, what fits within the abstraction of the game and what's actually, you know, practical. I'm just thinking of the save, or not the save, the uh, CK2 uh, quotes when you plot murder people. 
and you start having people taking over for your leader and new children and stuff, and the, the world is just too cruel for children. It's unfortunate. That snake got into the crib again. Again. <laughs> well, it would be a little odd if the child died to wine or manure explosions. Well, I mean, it's not that it could happen, <laughs> but, you know, snakes again. Do we need pest control around here? I think it's just a curse. You need to blame it on the adjacent kingdom. They're devil worshippers. It's fine. It's not totally because you want their land. Well. That's just a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> I, I won't refuse their land. So, to Steve Spain, thank you very much for the feedback. We hope you enjoy the next episode. Even if your conclusion is, man, I'll enjoy it a lot more when Dan's no longer a recurring guest. Well, I never. <laughs> I'm just trying to create controversy where there is none. You know, whether I'm a regular co-host or a guest, I should be consistent. Oh, speaking of consistency. Oh, there you go. I did say I would show you some. No, uh, you did. I haven't given you the opportunity yet. Speaking of opportunities, I don't I don't know if there's a proper segue into that one. Uh, <laughs> if, this but was a, if this was a proper segue, Mackie, then it wouldn't be polycast. So this is true. Right. This is true. We, we've never done right. proper segues. Yeah. Anyway, Bengal Ryan 9 started a thread over in Civ Fanatics talking about is an ancient era start actually balanced? Nope. <laughs> Next topic. <laughs> the game to make it balanced. So, like, even the developers and the game itself acknowledge that. So, yeah. But he's having the problem of he gets started, he thinks he's, it looks like an interesting start, it's going to be a fun game, and somebody spawns next to him, oh dear. And it doesn't matter what he does, he'll sit in delegations and stuff, and they'll come after him. So he has to start so many games, and he doesn't get one that's going to last longer than a little bit past into the classical, because it, you know he has to get like this just the right start. Like you, you got to have your back up against the coast or something like that, or have a nice little mountain range. He's like, I just want to be able to start in the nation era and be in the middle of the map and have people around me and be able to fight through that and not get overwhelmed. You know, is it is it just the level I'm playing or is it the ancient era starts? Like, well, Danny is supposed to be hard, but I think I, they're saying even on standard difficulty setting yeah, having these issues. Yeah, so. they're not playing on day. Well, no, he is. He, 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 yeah, he, good, said, but... he, he did. He did mention he plays and wins on deity in the majority of his games. So I, I would imagine that does mean the majority of his attempts are also deity. The, that being said, while I have seen some maps that would be very difficult to win blind on deity, they're pretty uncommon. I like if someone's saying they had like five close to unwinnable starts in a row. I don't believe it. I, I would I would raise my eyebrow at two in a row. I mean, it could happen because you can have flukes at, at those kinds of small sample sizes. Well, it looks like he's specifically trying to look for a non-coastal start that's actually viable and then ends up being surrounded by like five hostile civilizations and there's nothing he can do to make them not hostile. And that is a problem with diplomacy. There's a lot of ways yeah. in both Civ 5 and Civ 6 to make the AIs angry and not a whole lot of ways to make them happy and like And you do like kind of have to know information that's under the hood. To really, to really gain the AI uh, to its potential, and the other alternative is to simply beat everybody at war, which is possible but difficult and very grindy. Yeah, but you can I've, do it certainly. Even on deity, you can. It's just annoying. Sometimes it's really annoying. 
And in my opinion, that problem gets even worse as you increase the difficulty setting because the AI gets so much, so much free stuff. And I've talked at length before, and I've written blog posts uh, about it before, about how I am also very frustrated with the front loading of challenge in the Civilization game. I would very much hope that a large design emphasis for Civ 7 is to spread the challenge out over more of the game and to like add things in the middle and late game that impossible. like possible. Huh? I'm sorry, but I didn't want to interrupt too much, but it is impossible to do that. Well, I, anytime you have a game where uh, like a small advantage can snowball into a more significant advantage over time, you will necessarily have front loaded difficulty. And the best you can do, I think, is to end games that are over sooner and to design mechanics that allow for that more seamlessly than Civ has ever done. Is it disgustipated I, I, in the. Oh, go ahead, Jason. I was just gonna say I, I agree that it's it's exceedingly difficult. I don't know if I would go so far as to say that it's impossible, but you know, I would hope that the the people at Fraxis at least try to look into some ideas for for doing stuff like that. And it's clear with like, you know, the Rise and Fall and Gathering Storm uh expansions with the the you know dark ages and with the natural disasters and stuff, they're trying to go in that direction. It's just whether or not it's enough. You just can't do it in a four X or even something kind of like a four X. <laughs> As, as you expand, your options are greater, and the the, the number of like the number of things your opponents could do to counter you, uh, especially from an AI perspective, are reduced. There's no way around it. As you improve your relative position to the AI, the game will get easier. There's there's no way around that. And the whole reason it's challenging early is because of the va- like huge bonuses they have over you. There's the sheer volume of crap they start with. But the more you equalize that, the less challenging it's going to be necessarily. Well, and we uh, came up in the last topic about how Braxis has stated that they are not designing the artificial intelligence to win the game. If they were designed for that, I would actually be feeling a little more strongly towards this person who has started this thread. And and in fact, Scustipated had said that I was expecting from this forum title that this would go the other direction. I was thinking the human has more advantage with the era start because all those decisions the human makes better than the AI add up over the course of a long game. And ancient era also gives humans more time to develop and catch up, quote unquote. You're going to have that initial rush if you are surrounded by AI because they're going to have more stuff and they're going to throw more stuff at you. The the advantage that we have as a human player is A, we're, we're knowing that. And I'm not saying that, oh, so then it should just stay in the game, Dan. You don't think that there's a problem. It's kind of, if you know that that is coming and you can plan for that, and yes, there are going to be times when you're going to get screwed over, but if you know that and you're exploring and you see who's around you and you get that notification that, or you see on the screen, hey, oh, you're they're unfriendly towards you. Oh, they've denounced you on turn 10 because they just plain don't like you, which is a separate thing about diplomacy and whatnot. But I think it's one of those, the human player in the ancient era your advantage is to be able to plan ahead for that and to be able to, once you get past whatever that rush is, which is also a barbarian question, I'm going to get to that in a moment, but when the AI is coming at you, if you can contain them, and because the AI doesn't really react very well to what it is that it's trying to do in response to your counteractions, right? Like, I'm going to move here, and I'm going to do this, and you send units to surround it. I'm just going to go ahead and do what I was going to do anyway. So I feel like if you can get past that ancient era 
and you can survive, then you're going to be able to thrive. So while the Ancient Era, to me, is kind of your biggest risk, but it's also your biggest reward as a human player, I totally get the frustration, particularly about the Barbarian thing. Adding the Barbarian thing in there, I know we've talked about that before, it's a reason why I disable barbs. Yes, it's a controversial thing to go ahead and, and disable them, I get that. I'd actually like to see what we had a little bit more in Civ Four, where you have your standard barbs and your raging barbs to have a little bit more flexibility there. So while I think it's frustrating, I think if the Ancient Era was actually balanced, it would be boring. In the sense of, well, it's always going to be this way. I'm always going to, or I'm more likely to be able to do what it is that I want to do without a challenge, and to be unchallenged, and to be unchecked. I do think they could make the starting positions a little more fair, though. Because sometimes they still aren't. Like, even kind of. Yeah. Yeah, and, and when the human gets luck screwed with the starting position as compared to the AI, because the AI, as you increase in difficulty level in particular, as we've said, they get more stuff, they're able to mitigate that better than you are able to mitigate that. Which I agree, yes, that does suck. So as you play the game more, you're probably better off being able to tell, you know what, this is not a very good starting position. Uh, go ahead, and, and if you decide, like, I'm going to rage quit and I'm going to start over, I I think that's I think that's fine. I think it's not even a question of like AI games. It's like sometimes you get starts that are so ridiculously good or bad that it just skews the game. And I guess you can have a setting for that, like wild starts or whatever. But uh, if you just want to play a normal game, getting those environments, I don't know. This even happens to me at normal level sometimes is that I want to start a game and I just get one at like, Phil's talking about the wild starts. I'm not asking for the wild start and it gives me that, like, I'm shoved over. We have this multiplayer too, where you're shoved in some weird corner. And it's like, on yeah. one hand, it's interesting to try and get out of that situation, but sometimes you just want to start a normal, average game. And it's like, it's like, it's like, map gen, please put me in a spot where I can work with this and have a nice long game instead of, you know, like you come in and you want to do a game and you want to try one of the other, uh, uh, victory conditions like you want to try for the diplomacy thing or something and it puts you right up against like montezuma and genghis khan it's like that's not what i wanted you know because that's a very you can set your ai opponents to be fair yeah i've actually had the the reverse issue too where like i'm trying to play run a sieve to get a feel for them and then they just dump me near like some national wonder that just it gives me more than double the the normal starting production through the first 10, 20 turns, like, like egregiously more than you could possibly yeah. expect to see on some other starts. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, I mean, I, I can just do generically anything now and I'm going to win, but uh, all right, yeah. I guess. Yeah, you get the magic easy mode start sometimes too, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, it, goodies sometimes... husbands play into that a lot too. Like you get the free, uh, free builder. Oh, I turn that crap off. Like that. Free I do builder, not play with the lucky huts. No lucky huts. <laughs> uh, yeah. If they ever fix bars, I'll put bars back on. They just, I, from what I've heard, they haven't fixed it yet. But yeah, and yeah, barbs still have their same issue. Yeah. 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 And that's why I'm like, nope. Yeah. And I totally get why people disable goody huts. I like goody huts, but they are. It is. It is a luck win or it's a luck screw. There's no question about that. If we had even more game setup options, like for example, someone. Like this person, and you were getting a Mackie, and I think all of us. I just want a, a calmer start, and rather than having to, you know, restart, restart, restart. I mean, yes, you can hit escape and press restart. You don't have to go back to the game setup every but single after time. But still, a certain amount that of takes times, time. You do that when you want to yeah. start a game. You say, "Screw this! I'm going to play something else." 
with with yeah. regard real quick though to the uh the the goody huts uh, i was actually recently playing um uh john schaefer's at the gates uh for the first time like a uh, last weekend or the weekend before and one of the I, things that that game does that i thought was kind of interesting was at the very beginning of the game like you you only start out with the visibility in around your immediate area just like in civ but like they kind of have like drawn in the background in the fog of war like some of the features of the map that are around you that you haven't actually revealed yet so you can see some resources and you can see the location of some nearby uh, the equivalent of, of Goody Huts in that game. I forget what they, they call them, um, like towns or villages or tribal huts or something like that. But uh, it's, it's the same mechanic. You walk a scout there and you get a, a, a randomized reward. So in that game, you actually do have an idea at the very beginning of the game, like from turn one, like where the uh, the Goody Huts are. So it, it is then not entirely up to random chance whether or not you can get them. And I feel like that's probably something that could be done equalized to all the different players in Civ's ability to at least get a couple of the nearby goody huts. So it's not like, because sometimes you run into that situation where you just send your settler or explorer off in the wrong direction, right? And then you don't get any goody huts because you sent your your scout north and all the close nearby goody huts were to the, the west and the south and you don't get anything and everyone else gets good stuff. But if you knew where they were and the game gave you some guidance right there on turn one about where you should try exploring to find useful stuff, uh, maybe that would help balance that out without having to just remove them entirely. It does reduce the variance to some degree, but you still have variable rewards and you still have variable distance between start positions and goody huts, almost certainly. So you're still going to get some problems from it, but they would be reduced. But for Ben Gal Ryan 9, if in the game setup, it was, okay, whatever map type you're choosing, I would like a minimum, or you can even set a maximum distance between myself and another AI. Or between yourself and an AI. Any AI at all. You could either choose to use that option or not choose to use that option. So if you want to give yourself some breathing room, you could give yourself some breathing room. And I think we would love to see that, for instance, in cooperative multiplayer, along with, gee, I don't know, maybe some distance between humans and human to AI and AI to AI, so we're not all, you know, squished together in the corner or someone squished over there and not able to get to their opponent while, you know, the rest of us are dealing with their AI and everybody else. But it would give, in the ancient era in particular, that kind of breathing room where you're not feeling overwhelmed by the player, because I totally get the argument, that's great, Dan, that the human player may be able to take advantage of the ancient era, and if they survive the ancient era, then they're going to be able to to prosper and perhaps do something, but it's actually surviving the ancient era first. And it even came up in the thread, the person was speculating, well, what if I do a later era start? And that also came up and someone was like, well, you realize at a later era start that the human, that's where you start getting a lot of human front-loaded things where we're able to make better choices in terms of, oh, you can have so many things initially in that setup based on the point system or whatever it is that they have. So while that's a whole separate consideration, I would rather that not be the answer to you're not feeling happy with the ancient era and just give the player some more control over that. Yeah, the solution to the problem should not be don't play the first half of the game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you want to skip that just because for something different, that's fine, but because this is not balanced and everyone agrees that it's kind of a you know a cluster something or other, then let's just go ahead and skip it. That's not that's not addressing the issue. The ancient era. It should not be people don't want to play the ancient era because they feel like I'm just going to get raffle stomped every single time. It doesn't matter what difficulty level I'm on. It doesn't matter if I make all the right choices that the game gives me. And this is something with with the you know the distance between civs. I think that would be or like the least I think that would be something simpler than let's improve the diplomacy. 
which I also think that should be there too. But in the meantime, if we just kind of give that breathing room, then the AI can be over there doing whatever it is that it is doing, and then try to then have it so that the human player is in a position to, okay, now I have comparable number of units to the AI. I'm in a better position. I know what it is that I'm doing. And I think kind of getting raffle stomped by the AI early on when it's like the AI doesn't even know what it's doing. They just happen to have a lot of stuff given them to, for free, and they just shifted their weight on the right way, on the right turn, and it's like they're not even going to appreciate the fact that they did a good job because they're not even trying to win. Or are you going to build a couple of units and kill it? Although the, the, you can make a case for these later era starts in terms of ha- being able to interact with the mid to late game uh, options without the game's outcome being decided already because you are literally starting in the mid to late game, uh, depending on you know which era you pick. Especially if you have a civilization that has a lot of their uniques, you know, backloaded, like a, a civilization like America, where, you know, their unique units are, uh, you know, industrial and modern units. Might not be a good example since those aren't very good, but yeah, well, that's true. It was the first one I thought of. Yeah, and, and in uh, in other Civ games, that would be more pertinent, for sure, for America. I could make this so politicasty, but like, of course, an American would choose America to use it as an example. But we, we, we don't need to go down that road. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I do Canada like Canada prevents surprise wars, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily, you know, solve all of my other problems, especially in the late game. Right. Well, and one other way to uh, deal with the uh, with the start of the game perhaps being too hard uh, might be to just use exploits. And cheats, uh, because we've been oh, actually. Oh, being... oh, oh the, I'm sorry. The e word yeah. and the Whoa. c word in the same Whoa. sentence. Whoa! Uh, right. Yeah. It's, it's a good thing I was sitting down, down for this early. recording. Thank you. Thank you for the warning, <laughs> yes. Jason. I'm sorry. Should I have warned people first to sit sit down yes. before the <laughs> next topic? We're going to use the c word. Yes. It could cause serious uh, internal and or external injury to all gamers if you're not careful. So and if, if the you... show can't afford the lawsuits, they just can't afford the lawsuits. Yeah, uh, medical liability to. waivers for all our listeners from now on. <laughs> by, by opening the, the episode title or the, the recording, you are agreeing to uh, all liability. Not we'll so that, if you spraying something. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the pre-recorded legal disclaimers for the beginning of the show from now on. Um, <laughs> we might have a show title there, too. You might want to sit down for this. Um, now, bend over. There you go. <laughs> no, Phil. So uh, that, that's <laughs> that's for the paid version of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <God's> wow. <laughs> so uh, with the the popularity of uh, you know YouTube pundits and uh, social media and stuff like that, uh, one of the consequences of that is we have a lot more exposure of cheats and exploits in not just Civ but uh, a lot of games. And uh, in particular, there's a, a couple of YouTubers that I, I watch a lot of who do a lot of. Civ 6 uh, content, including exploits. Uh, there's Potato McWhiskey, who does uh, some exploit videos, but mostly focuses on, like, you know, strategy and game mechanics stuff. And we've referenced uh, some of his videos uh, in episodes past, uh, particularly with regard to, you know, how the heck the dang culture tourism victory works. Uh, and then there's also a YouTuber called uh, The Spiffing Brit, who does, like, nothing but exploit videos for lots of different games, but he seems to have a particular fondness for Civilization VI because he's done like five different videos on Civ VI. And I think the only game that even comes close is maybe Skyrim or Oblivion. Oh, and recently Bannerlord because that's early access and it shows. Uh, 
But yeah, so uh, there are some pretty serious uh, bugs in Civilization VI that allow for exploits. Uh, some of them include being able to uh, reselect the same pantheon over and over and over again and stacking the same bonus multiple times. Uh, others include getting infinite uh, gold through diplomacy from the AI, although I think that one might have been fixed in a patch, I don't recall. Uh, and then the most recent one is apparently you can exploit the build queue to be able to plop the same district in a city as many times as you want and then stack a bunch of uh, adjacency bonuses. You can exceed the district cap by doing this. And uh, uh, the particular case that the Spiffing Brit looked at was the Molly's unique district, which gives you a, I think, 20% discount towards buying yeah. stuff in the city. And if you plop down five of those in the same city, that is a 100% discount on purchasing things in the city, which means gold purchasing of units and buildings and other stuff costs zero gold. Yep. Uh, which, uh, to say the least, breaks the game. So the most... Well, the Pantheon one does too, right? Because like, right, yeah. there's really no limit to the number of settlers you can use that for. Or <laughs> because you can mix and match, you can also get a bunch of the other Pantheon bonuses in addition. Oh. You can alternate between the one that gives you the builder and the one that gives you the settler. Yeah, you, yeah, you can oh, get a whole man. bunch of both of those for free, and then you can pick another pantheon and, and stack bonuses. Uh, Which uh, there's you nothing stopping you? From, yeah, the free builders and settlers you can basically use to basically turn yourself into a deity AI and have all the bonuses they have. Oh, more than that, yeah, for and then, sure. Yeah, and then some if you if you chose to. But yeah, the the big point here is uh, there's a lot of exploits, and these exploits are a lot more public now than they used to be thanks to the, the popularity of, uh, of YouTube and all these you know pundits who make all these videos about it. And uh, I just want to say, if you're playing in multiplayer, please, please, please don't use these exploits. I mean, yeah. like you're, you're just going to make everyone else's play experience miserable and you're probably just going to get yourself booted from the game and banned from yep. playing in that group uh, later. So like it, it really does not help anybody like if you want to play around with them in single player just as a gag you know feel free to do so i, I don't you know I'm, I'm sure you probably can you know uh cheese a lot of achievements and stuff like that that way if, if that's something you're into or fill up your hall of fame with ridiculously high scores which now makes the hall of fame like completely moot for comparing actual like game performance uh, kind of has been anyway unfortunately but yeah I, I, yeah i but you know you've got people who can basically essentially have an infinite score, you know, whatever the heck arbitrary score you want, you can get by using these exploits. And I guess you um, could break turn count with this really hard. Like if you took somebody with like Victoria's skill level and just used this uh, to its maximum potential. Yeah. You'd break the game. And what fascinated me about this topic and as in the past in on um, fanatics too, of course, some people will probably remember my exploit discussions from, Maybe even a decade ago at this point. Jeez. Um, so something like this is so obviously egregious and centralizing that not using it uh, against people who use it is unwinnable. And it blatantly and, and breaks so, Yeah, it's so blatantly against what the game rules are that most everyone could easily agree that it's an exploit. Uh, on the flip side, uh, Potato McWhiskey in one of his videos commented that some people actually accused him of cheating by enabling the leader heads that show like the production and science and all that from other civilizations, even though that's actually a vanilla game feature that you could just 
Yeah, that's not even video. a mod anymore. That yeah, used to be a mod. mod. But Firaxis thought it was such a good idea, they put it into the game. So people have accused him of exploiting the game by using what is literally an intended in-game feature, objectively speaking. And to, so to be fair are two ends. People, however, to, to be fair to those people, however, is a lot of them, I think, did not know that that was actually an option in the game that you can turn on. They thought it was a mod. Even so, so they though, like, him of, that information yeah. is available to you elsewhere in the game. So that is a quality of life information presentation at worst. Right. Which so Phil is, this is pretty obviously on one side of the spectrum, right? Like, no, re- it would not be reasonable. There's no reasonable definition of exploit that would capture that and like not also ban gameplay entirely. Whereas the it's pretty easy to look at something like what Skipiffing Brit showcase and say, OK, like this breaks the game so hard that you can't play the game normally if this is involved. Right. So but to me, what's always interesting is the discussion on things that are more in between than that. Uh, for example, not necessarily stacking five districts, but locking in the cost of your district long before you actually bother to build it, for example. Which, which I do but, all the time in single player. And yeah, and, and according to the game rules, that's consistent. Like, the, the rule is what it, it's costed when you place it. Uh, and you have the question of, well, the AI doesn't know how to do that. So is it unfair that, you know, not only for, as the player, you are probably placing the districts in superior positions because the, the AI, as we've said many times before doesn't think too far ahead very well uh but then you're also you know making them cheaper for yourself which you know it is in a gray area whether or not that is a cheat it is but you like my problem with this when it comes up in multiplayer games when it comes up in discussions of single player like formats like hall of fame is that you need consistent standards for it like for where you're drawing the line and what the AI example is one that often bothers me, actually, because if you use the standard, the AI doesn't know how to use this. Yeah, the AI doesn't know Show how to me, use air units. So yeah, air like the AI doesn't know how to use air units. AI really doesn't use its great generals properly. The AI can't even use range units properly. Well, like, they, do use their great AI they do use their great standard, generals. They do use their great generals. They do use their great generals and admirals as scouts, which is actually a really clever use for them that <laughs> I didn't think of, and the AI actually taught me a lesson there. Maybe. All I'm saying is that, like, if you use that as a standard, like, the AI doesn't do this, then you, you can't fight the AI in right. the game by your own standards, because that's exploiting it. So, like, that doesn't work. You, like, you can't say that then. But <laughs> and it, it's certainly caused angst in various communities, not just in Civ, but certainly on Civ Fanatics. I've, I've seen these discussions over and over again in multiple Civ iterations, uh, starting from when I was very very prevalent on the forum and Civ 4 and probably before that too, but uh, that's when I started seeing it. And I don't know that there's a good answer because some of the stuff is gray area. Like you can make a multiplayer game and just have everyone in the game agree to specific things you can and can't do. But then like, there's always this guy who throws out, okay, well don't exploit the game, but they don't know, like they don't, they themselves don't know what they mean when they say don't use exploits. And that bothers me because there's always, Always, always disputes over this. It doesn't matter if it's Madden, the Civ, StarCraft. I don't care. Like right. you, you always have somebody complaining about this. I, and I so, like, when it comes to you, don't use exploits in multiplayer. That's a sticking point for me. I mean, don't right. use obviously broken centralizing mechanics that force everybody to use them to be able to play. Okay, fine. 
I think for me personally, one of the big criteria would be, is this something that could commonly happen like accidentally or incidentally by playing the game in good faith? And uh, I think the the idea of, of you know, pre-placing the district to lock in its cost is a good example because you might over the course of the game plop down a district with the full intent of building it, but then someone like war decks you and you decide, oh crap, I need to build an encampment instead. So you stop the building of the commercial hub or campus or whatever the heck you were building and build an encampment so you get that extra bombardment. And But in doing so, you've locked in the cost of that other district. So, you know, that's not something that you did in bad faith or to be malicious. Whereas if you are clicking escape at the same time you select your Pantheon in order to spawn a hundred settlers, uh, that's something that you very deliberately did. Well, the, the relative value there is not even comparable to, right? And that's part of the, that has to be part of the evaluation process. The degree to which this influences the game has to matter when yeah. we're considering this. That's the other yeah. thing. Yeah, swapping the district thing is... A small minor influence. That one city got a bonus. Sitting there and doing the escape thing for the Pantheon to get like 20 settlers in the first few turns of the game. Well, first like 20 turns or something. But yeah, that's a much bigger long-term effect. And, but even that standard is not like universal because the build queue thing where you can queue up the same district multiple times, like that's something that you could hypothetically do accidentally by just shuffling around, you know, stuff in your build queue because the it's game will let you discovered. For, for some, right. Yeah. Cause the game will, yeah. for some reason, let you queue the same district multiple times in the queue. And until you actually finish it, it won't remove them because the game doesn't recognize that, you know, it, that the district being in the queue counts towards the, you know, one placement of the district. Uh, like if it did that, it would solve the problem, but it doesn't. So hypothetically, you could just queue up a bunch of districts and then maybe you accidentally queue up the same district multiple times and then you're shuffling the order, but you don't delete the, the duplicates of the districts. And then you do end up with the same district being placed multiple times. And that could happen accidentally without you deliberately trying to uh, to cheat. Although you, you probably wouldn't see like 50 of them, but yeah, well, I, yeah I mean, I get what you're saying. You could certainly do it by accident. Well, what? and in in a for a player playing in good faith, if that were to happen, you would almost certainly be placing the duplicates of the district in the same location because that's where you want the district to be. So it would it would be exceedingly unlikely to find someone who's playing in good faith have six uh, commercial hubs uh, <laughs> placed in Korea their city accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would be easy to convince uh, people that that accidental, guys. I didn't mean to put that many say ones down. I don't know. I just got this lag spike, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> right? But but I, I could see a situation where you place like your your commercial hub down, and then you realize, oh crap! If I buy this one tile, like it'll have like it's in the middle of this snaky river part and I'll get a plus four adjacency bonus instead of a plus three. And then, Ooh, that's even better. Cause then I can put my theater here and it'll be adjacent to other districts and then, you know, stuff like that. And then you, you do change the location of it because, you know, a lot of people have asked for the ability to, you know, like actually cancel the building of a district uh, in, or even being able to delete existing districts to build it somewhere else because a better location does come up as the, the game situation changes. Like, that's actually something that people do want in the game. And this exploit kind of sort of maybe allows you to do that in certain edge cases. But yeah, it, it is still something that is, you know, that if you actually create multiple copies of the same district or you break the district cap, you are breaking the game's rules, like very clearly and blatantly. 
Speaking of lag spikes, I, there's the uh, age-old question of double moving people. Like, you please uh, explain how that works because I'm I'm only vaguely familiar with the concept because I don't like. Play a say lot we're at war and uh, I wait until there is like one or two seconds remaining in the turn, and then I move a unit in like next to your city, and then right as the turn rolls over and the next turn starts, I just attack you with that unit before you get a chance to react to it. Mm. Or I could use units to attack one of your units at the end of a turn and then kill your unit before you react on the following turns. In other words, I get two attacks on a unit before you have an opportunity to uh, do anything with that unit because uh, you didn't see it coming. Which is something that is, I think, fixed if you use the what is the dynamic uh, uh, turn thing where if you are at war, then the game does switch to fully turn-based instead of simultaneous moves. Yeah, you, uh, you can do that, right? but if you're playing with simultaneous turns, which a lot of us do, that's... Uh, that, that's <laughs> I mean, strictly speaking... This does not violate any game rules whatsoever. The game is actually working exactly as intended. And yet you could certainly make a case that it's not fair if you are going from a, a true turn-based uh, strategy game uh, aspect. Yeah, I, I like to think of the simultaneous turns as like a convenience thing rather than like intended, you know, how the game is supposed to work. So I would personally consider that an exploit because it is a turn-based game. And in single player, you cannot do that. So... Yeah, I would definitely consider it an exploit, but... Well, you, in single player, you can do it, but it's worthless, because the AI's reaction time is instantaneous. So, so it doesn't matter how many things you do right at the end of a, a space of time before Although you end the, your the turn. Turns, the turns in single player are also never simultaneous. That's so. true. They are, they are functionally sequential. But I would imagine that even if they were simultaneous, you would be hard-pressed <laughs> to outorder the AI. Because <laughs> that's one of those things that, unlike, say... Uh, long-range tactical planning or long-range strategies, the AI's reaction speed is very, very fast compared to humans. I I think you would have a very hard time uh, double-moving the AI when it, in fact, be at risk of getting double-moved by the AI instead. Hmm. So, yes, I've been very, very quiet, almost completely quiet so far on this topic, and I want to kind of work my way back uh, to run the most recent example that was just given about the double-moving question and multiplier back to some of the other examples. So first off, yeah, double moving, this is a multiplayer specific thing. So for a lot of the people playing Civ 6, they might say, what's multiplayer? But <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to call it an exploit like you did, Jason. And I'm thinking back to the idea of an exploit, you know, thinking about definitions, and it's already come up about exploit, you know, where a player is using, you know, a bug or a glitch to advantage, you know, give themselves an advantage in a manner that's not intended by the game's designers. And because Fraxis put in simultaneous turns into the game. Okay, I, I think that, that you're right, that it's you're also giving up the the security of the turn based for the conveniency uh, for the convenience, I should say, of the simultaneous turns. So does that, even as a cheat then, a person who behaves dishonestly in order to gain an advantage, they're clearly working to gain an advantage. Is it dishonest when it could be a reasonable expectation that someone else could do that to you as well, like another human player? So to me, it's very subjective, and it kind of comes down to the people that you're playing in the group. If you don't want that to happen, then that should be something that should be agreed on before the game starts. Let's acknowledge, are people yes. aware of this, well, yes or no? Let's do this, let's not do it. that. And if then you definitely if you, do it, if you definitely if you don't do want it, it then happen, you are you, cheating. You could disable simultaneous turns and play in the either fully turn-based or dynamic, and that would, yeah. you know, 
effectively solve the problem. Then the game the would force that on you, yes. But yeah. as a kind of like a social exercise, if you still want simultaneous turns, you still want the advantage to do that, okay. And I think the cheat would then come where you already had the discussion beforehand. It was clear we're not going to do that. And then you turn around and do that. Now you are cheating because oh, okay, now yeah. that is not the intention of the people who were playing the game because you said and everyone agreed not to do that. If you agree to do something and then you don't do it or vice versa, that's that's a little bit less ambiguous. And it's not ambiguous at all any longer. (laughs) Exactly. And it's also a lot harder to claim that it it was accidental if you previously agreed not to do it, because that means that you should be consciously aware of the fact that you should be avoiding doing the thing. So don't. That's actually not true, because some people are pressured by the term timer. So they might be very, very barely able to end their turn on time in the middle of war. And I've then never, because that's, that's where they're looking right at the start of the next turn, right? Like they, they just barely got their move, their move in and now their units are right next to the units that they need to fight. Like, so, okay. And now they're looking at that. So that's the first thing they're going to do on the following turn. Like I, I could see people who actually don't have bad intentions, double moving unintentionally very easily, especially if they're time pressure. Yeah. I suppose you're, you're and right then, with the, uh, with the turn timer on. Definitely. Yeah. And you would then have to look at how how often is that happening and the frequency and the time over it because, yeah, it can happen incidentally, but if you can establish a pattern, make an argument that the person is doing that, then, okay, it wasn't just because of the turn time and lag or anything like that. No, you're purposely doing that, which, of course, is a bigger subjective question. Well, sure, uh, but if you're going to do this in bad faith, you better be doing it when it counts and not otherwise. And so that's actually not going to be that easy to tell. I mean, I mean, no. for me personally, one of the reasons that I play Civilization and I like Civilization as opposed to, you know, a, ter- a real-time strategy like, say, StarCraft is because I confess I don't have the fastest reflexes in the world and I do not as much enjoy games where, like, actions per minute or clicks per minute is one of the largest deciding factors of whether or not you win. So to me, using a, t- a tactic like that is, you know, in bad faith almost automatically, uh... Be, but that's just a personal preference thing, you know, because I play Civ 6 because of the fact that it is turn based and I have the time to think about my moves before I actually, you know, execute them. And in, in fact, I don't think I've ever played a multiplayer game with the turn timer on uh, because of that very fact. And that does mean that occasionally, yeah, you have to sit for a long time while, while one of the other players makes their move. But, uh, you know, I, I always play my multiplayer games with a, a close-knit group of, of friends who I know very well. So I know if they're taking a long time to take their move, it's, you know, because they're doing stuff. It's not because they're, you know, just trying to waste my time or be malicious or anything like that. And that's kind of goes aside, the uh, social Starcraft, aspect of the multiplayer aspect. StarCraft APM does not, is not decisive, like not truly decisive until you're at really high, like really top percentages of play. Well, true. But even in a game like, you know, again, uh, I talk about a lot of uh, Madden. I don't play, you know, online on Madden because, you know, a lot of the, you know, uh, a lot of players in, in Madden, you know, take advantage of, you know, like things that I just don't have the time to practice to get good enough at doing. Like it's a lot of muscle memory, like doing audibles and hot routes and stuff like that with the defense, like like doing like. 20 inputs controller inputs in a matter of just a few seconds between breaking the huddle and getting to the line of scrimmage and snapping the ball. And I just can't do that. I've a, I've never learned the muscle memory and just B, I just don't think my hands work that fast. So I pretty much can't play online unless I'm playing, you know, with someone who I know who's going to agree not to do that because I just simply can't keep up. Uh, And this is where I think it, it becomes important that the game and structuring something in multiplayer 
allows, for example, going back to Civ to say, no, we don't even want to get into this question of the, you know, of the double moving or whether you do it uh, unintentionally or not. Let's just avoid it. So the game has the mechanism so that the game can force it not to happen because of the dynamic timer. Whereas if you decide you want that and you're willing to sacrifice that potential and you find a group of people like you, Jason, that feel comfortable with that and not having the turn timer and and playing it with with the dynamic and, and not rather keep it that turn-based nature, then I think that that's great. And I don't necessarily think that the game should try to force that social constraint, but just enable it so that whatever people want to play it as a preference, that, that they can use that as a preference. And if people don't like that they can't do that, then then they should just go play something else. The developer and the publisher have made the choice that, no, right. I do not... I do not value that particular view of how to play this particular game, and therefore, well, I guess you're not part of the target market. Or you can go to and, a modder and, and to say, be, "Please to help." To be clear, <laughs> yeah. Well, to be clear, in that example that I just gave with Madden, I do not consider that actually to be an exploit. Right? It's just very high level the play of the game. that I can't, that I can't do. Yeah, but pretty much everyone is right. Do it, yeah, but because yeah. I can't do it, it does mean that I am at a disadvantage against players who can, and it just is not a fun experience for me because there's nothing I can do, you know, as a user with my limitations to to counter that, you know, because I have a full time job. I'm sorry, I don't have uh, all day every day like all these twelve years old, twelve year olds and fifteen year olds on uh, who are playing these games to to spend doing nothing but playing Madden all day. Come on now. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I learned the high end user controls of working adult. <laughs> Well, I, I, I fact, it would probably be a nightmare uh, playing against me online if you're not used to what what you would see from good players with defensive user. If you uh, if you actually have Madden on the PS4, uh, Phil, I would be happy to to play a game with oh, you. I'm not sure I have it for the PS4. I have it for the Xbox. Ah, oh, crap. All right. Well, enough of Madden yeah. cast. But yeah, okay. it, 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 the high end <laughs> stuff is pretty nasty. Like if you're running something like a streak flag combo. I can read that, and I, I will intercept the flag if you're running it too frequently. Very easily, yeah. too. And there are play concepts. With my middle linebacker, I will intercept your out breaking out. Well, they were supposed to have fixed that in, in Madden 20, but I don't know if they necessarily did. And yeah, there are you play can. concepts I just, I just that are flat out broken. Like, I know you're going to do it, so I just take my user over there. Like, I'll, I'll pattern read, right. and if you don't have an in-breaking route from the opposite side, then I'm going to go and take away your flag. Right. And the, yeah, but... the. Well, unfortunately, one of the other things with that game is you have to know enough about the meta of the game to be able to do that. Because because yeah. I don't play the game online, I don't know which of those plays and routes combinations are broken. So even as a defender, even if I could make those adjustments, I wouldn't necessarily know to. Yeah, because I don't good. know because I don't know that that my my you know middle third safety is is going to go and cover the streak down the sideline instead of the post route in the middle of the field like he's supposed to. I'm sorry, I assumed that my football player was going to know how to play football and actually correctly play football. Well, that, that's why I quit <laughs> ultimately. Yeah. But, again, <laughs> yeah, the sorry, game doesn't sorry. work. That's why I quit. Yeah, sorry. Uh, again, in, enough Madden cast. <laughs> well, no, no, to to kind of tie in Madden back to Civ in the sense of you know not knowing the meta part of that. The discounted district thing. I mean, that is not something that Ooh. I think a player should be able to. Oh, I think I should. I, I think I should know that if I buy that now, I'm going to lock in the cost. Setting that aside for the moment, people calling that a cheat. A person who behaves dishonestly in order to gain an advantage, you're absolutely gaining an advantage. There's no question, and I think it should be addressed. No question about that. But if a and person yeah, if, who if does was, that, but I don't feel like was, that's dishonest at all. Like that's no, I don't think it is. Role. That's the part. That's right. It's not. I don't think it is dishonest at all. I think it's something that someone has taken advantage of because they know about the advantage to be taken of in the first place. 
And using your example, Jason, where someone decides to build a commercial hub and, oh, no, suddenly I've been invaded. Now I need to switch over to an encampment. Yes, you've locked in that commercial district costs, but you also don't have that commercial district yet. You would need to remember to go back to that. And it's also possible that, hey, I've locked in the commercial district costs. That's fantastic. Oh, crap. I just got word act. I need a district. My population is too low. I can't build another district right now. So you've actually... No, certainly wouldn't intentionally screw yourself, but it's like, oh, I guess I can't build an encampment now because I was trying to lock in the cost of something, and now I've got to find some other way to deal with this threat than building an encampment right now. Because you're probably not going to be able to turn around and, I said, unless you were, you know, had more than one possible district that you could build that you haven't done that yet, there is a cost associated with that. So I don't think anybody building a district, I don't think that's a cheat. Do I think that the developers intended that to happen? I would like to certainly think not, but. Then again, I'm not a developer. I don't and I know. Don't have, well, it I don't, seems it's like pre-planning like effectively is part of the game, right? In so many other facets. So why not this facet too? Because there's certainly an element of pre-planning if you're going to commit to a district like this, just like and, you said. And there actually is a check against that, which is the the district limit by population, because you can't just plop all yes, your districts said, yeah. down right as soon as you settle the city. You do still have to get the population to unlock the slots, and then you can put it down as soon as you unlock the slot and then come back to it 20 turns later or whatever. Uh, but there is a built-in check against that, that that prevents it from being like completely you know exploitative or manipulative. I would just like to point out there is one other valid uh, way to handle double moving, by the way, and that is to just allow it straight up so that everyone does it. Oh, yeah. I mean, if there's an agreement that, you know, ha- have at it, then yeah, by all means, it makes it pretty straightforward. Again, back to the what does the group think about this? Yeah. Yes. OK. Gentlemen's there will be agreement some groups. Players. Either we do it or we don't. Yeah. And then, yes, I, inevitably, there will be times where there'll be groups of people that didn't know about it and it happened. And it's like, wait, what just happened here? And then it depends on the group. How do you want to how do you want to react to that at that point, which is also possible. And then you learn. And if people aren't going to go with the general consensus of the group, then again, I guess you're not playing in that group anymore because people are not going to have it. There are another uh, interesting, I think, example uh, to this sort of topic is uh, looking at board games, because there are a lot of board games that do not have fixed turn orders where either the, the, you know, the players actually uh, with a turn order might be randomly assigned each game round or the players like basically buy or auction for turn order or where it just like automatically, you know, rotates to the the player, you know, to the current uh, first player's left or something like that. So you can have situations mm-hmm. in a lot of those board games where you do get two moves in a row compared to another player because the turn order changed between uh, turns. But in the case of a board game, as opposed to Civ, that's something that's in the game's rules. So that's actually yes. part of the strategy is, oh, I'm exactly. going to make... I'm going to make these moves at this time in the game because the turn order is going to be such that I'll be able to double move and maximize its effectiveness and minimize the other player's ability to uh, counter it. Uh, for example, I would counter that for if you were playing under the rule environment of simultaneous turns, that double moving is actually part of the game's design at that point as well, just like it would perhaps. be a board game. Perhaps. Right yeah, down to the option of not playing that way. Like you can simply not pick simultaneous turns and had not had that be an issue. Right, which is what puts it, you know, uh, probably on the not exploit side of the fuzziness. I still think it's in kind of a gray area because it, you know, uh, so many things uh, are. I, 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 I do probably when someone starts using inconsistent standards, whatever yeah. standards you use for something you don't like, I, I want that to be applied for everything you consider about the game, not just counting sometimes and not counting other times. When people start counting some things only when it's convenient. That's when I have a problem. Right. 
the the whole and then to go back to the other examples, the whole somebody calling somebody up for cheating because they enabled the ribbon for the information. Uh, it's already that's already been covered. I, I, that is the most extreme. I don't even know if I can have a. Why do I even have to respond to that? I just. I know. I read oh. that. And I was like, "What are you talking about? That's a thing that's right there in the game that they added because players asked for that, and a mod put that in there originally. And they said, "Hey, actually, it's a good idea. We should do that by default." And it gives you short access to things that are already in menus in the game. It's not like it's new information. It's pulling from somewhere. If you go down and go through some of the reports in the game, you can find all that stuff. It just puts it there conveniently for you so you can keep an eye on things. But again, to, this- to be fair to those players and to cycle back to Phil's recurring point of bad UI, a lot of those players, if not all of them, just didn't know that that was the case in the game. Like, not a lot of players knew how to find that stuff beforehand because the UI is not great and finding those reports and reading those reports isn't, you know, probably as user-friendly as it should be. Uh, and then, yeah, again, there were a lot of people who had been playing the game before that feature got, you know, added by Firaxis and just didn't know it was there because it's not enabled by default. You have to go into the options and change it. So if you didn't read the patch notes and know that it's there, you didn't know that it was there. Oh, yeah, but as soon as and they so put the, it out, I went looking for it. It's like, where is this? Because I need this. I am tired of oh, being yeah. up. And, and I would yeah. certainly and hope then... that those players responded to Potato McWhiskey, or I would certainly hope that those viewers of Potato McWhiskey's channel uh like rescinded, you know, their their criticisms or complaints, you know, after the fact, and well, say like, oh, I probably I, just you know, stopped talking. Roasted after they got roasted. Oh, uh, crap! Yeah, I'm going to start using this now because that's awesome. And uh, the ribbon thing not being there—that's less about is this a cheat or, a, or an exploit being exercised by the player and derp from the developer and their UI. Like that song. Yeah, that information should have been easily accessible the whole time. Because and, and not everybody is the type say, of nerd who are digging through all those other reports. Like I, I've seen people claim that information that is available otherwise, but is compiled by like a mod or something, is also unfair slash cheating, even though all that information is present in the game already. But the act of making it more easy to access is somehow bad. Yeah, no, that I don't feel that is as cheaty or exploited on the part of the player. That's just good that's good resourcefulness on the part of the player recognizing that this is something that should be here but's not and you went out and you found it and you're using that mod or someone using that mod doesn't mean that they have exclusive access to that mod just like hey hey guess what guess what i just locked in my commercial hub you can't lock in your commercial hub nope it was only it was it was only me (laughs) that was purposeful or incidental every player can replicate this and also back to the point of the ai can't do that that doesn't mean that we don't do it that just means we address things with the ai Otherwise, we wouldn't be allowed to use air units. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in the ex, uh, you know, situation of uh, multiplayer, if you are playing with a mod, whether it's a UI mod or a gameplay mod or whatever, uh, my understanding is if you start a multiplayer game with other people, they have access to that mod as well. Like it's automatically downloaded and installed into their game for that multiplayer session. So I don't think you can set up a situation unless you like crazy hack the game and like definitely are cheating where, you know, I'm playing a game with Phil and Phil has a UI mod that makes, you know, that gives him access to a lot of information that's hard for me to find. And I don't because there actually is a legitimate case to make where if the, if the UI mod gives you easy access to information and there's a turn timer and it's just not practical to go through all of those screens within the turn timer limit, like I could see a case for that being an exploit. But if you're playing in multiplayer, everybody should have access to that same mod. So it's not that Phil has it and I don't. It's we both have it and it's whether or not Phil's using it effectively. 
I think either it's you you start the game, someone has a mod, like the person who's hosting, for example, has this mod. Oh, everyone's now going to have this mod and it automatically gives it to players. Or it makes it clear you cannot join this game until you have this because the host has this and they've enabled it for the purpose of this game. Then everything is transparent. Everyone is clear. One player does not have an advantage because they knew it existed or thought to find it and realized they couldn't see it on the screen or they couldn't check all these screens. Everyone is on the same page. The, the thing about the uh, the spiffing Brit and the whole uh, Mansa Musa unique district and the spamming these districts or the thing about the Pantheon and pressing escape. Okay, that's once again something very clear to me that that is something that is not intended. That is, I mean, it's being very purposeful and you are trying to gain an advantage over everybody else. I think the other thing that comes into is once this this comes about, and really to kind of wrap around back even to the open mic topic in part, and yes, Steve Spain, I am going to say this in another context. I hope you're, I hope you're sitting down. Man, I sound really aggressive with this preface. But anyway, <laughs> you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't when it comes to talking about cheats and exploits. Because I must admit, when we first started talking about whether we were going to talk about this topic or in general, I was kind of like, oh no, we're just going to highlight the exploits and then people are going to go out there. And then we decided, no, we're going to talk about like exploit versus cheat in general. And what are the edge cases? Because that's it's the gray area that it gets really interesting because there are other things that are very obvious for anybody who's playing the game that, well, this is way out in left field and it shouldn't be. And I think that having it presented in this way, whether it's social media, YouTube, or before that, these things called forums, as an example, or even just people emailing back and forth, thanks to this little thing called the internet, we're more aware of these things. And as the awareness comes about, the hope then is that the developer and publisher go, hmm, now that it's been raised by the community, maybe we should do something about it. That's kind of the other thing. These things that are coming up, I hope that for the really extreme cases, I'm not talking about the gray stuff, because the gray stuff is, well, we'll let the player decide that for themselves. But I can't believe, and I don't want to believe, certainly, that that was ever the intention of the developer for this to be the case, so that we that it gets addressed, and it gets addressed in a patch. So that everyone, it's like, okay, hope you enjoyed that time for that exploit and that cheat, but that time is now over. Let's move on. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. You made the game better. You raised awareness about it. The awareness isn't for for me personally. It wasn't to make this uh, to increase awareness among cheaters. You know, my hope for bringing this topic up because this this topic was was uh, my idea um, was so that everybody knows about these these exploits and potential cheats. So that if it is used against you in a multiplayer game, you can hopefully more easily recognize it and then you know take whatever appropriate measures are necessary either kick the player or ban the player or make you know gentlemen's agreements in the future to either both agree to use the exploit or both agree to not use the exploit because there might actually be some really fun multiplayer uh, to be had in using the in everybody agreeing to use these exploits Heck and seeing yes. yeah. how crazy the game can get just um, who can yeah. abuse this the most <laughs> yeah there is that you, you could do you could probably get a game or two out of that maybe <laughs> and even in some single player context like hall of fame for example raising that awareness so if someone's you know they're supposed to submit the save to confirm hey look at this i achieved this and and doing that then i realize not all of this is easily gleamable just from a save but even in more general if you choose to use this in your single player game hey that's your single player game uh, my personal view is that you're just you're cheapening the experience for those really extreme cases where like come on that's not 
playing the game as intended, but, well, you are playing the game how you want to intend, and that's fine, but if you start sharing or start talking about that, then you're going to quickly find the people who are in favor of, oh, yeah, I like doing that, too. Let, let's compare. And those that are just saying, no, no, you shouldn't be able to do that. And for those really extreme cases, I would like to see those removed from the game completely, but even if not, then I'm just going to make the personal choice to not do that, and I would like to interact with people who also make that choice. And if that's the way it ends up being, then that's the way it ends up being. Man, I want to start singing Kumbaya, but I won't. I'll just, you know, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just put that topic, uh, I'll just put that thought out there. Well, I'm glad that you came around. <laughs> oh. Time for Speaking it. of Kumbayas. Yeah. Speaking of Kumbayas. Well, this has been episode 60 of Polyg. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm Makalu. My co-host today, Dan Q. Thanks, all. And me and team. I'm sure you will agree to my special tactics. And Mega Bears man. Yeah, that didn't come through. Oh, Jason. Jason <laughs> went to squash fallen. some people. No, Jason He's has taken up a quest. He is. He's, he has gone fallen down the hole of trying to stop all exploits and cheats from happening in all games, not just Civ. Jason, we wish you well. Come back to us. Please. Fuck, man. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Oh, no. So when 360 no-scoped him. Oh. <laughs> oh, there's his exit line. All right. There's his exit line. All right. All right, let's do the closing again. We did take two. All right, take two for the closing uh, from game from take two. Okay. Is that it? <laughs> I don't know. Fix it and post. This thing is not is my behaving. Mic working? What's going on here? <laughs> now we. <laughs> I put in the right thing and now it doesn't want to do it. Oh my gosh. Did I hit a uh, hard button or something? What's going on? Now says anyone who doesn't do post-production fix it in post. That's well said. That's like with modders. Uh, forget all this exploit stuff. Just fix it in a mod. Leave me alone. <laughs> yes, I don't know what I did wrong there, but yeah, you'll have to put the it proper ending ending thing. Or not. Maybe we like some polycast episodes that are like that. Just like we like games with cheats and exploits in them. We like the polycast game that never... Polycast game. Polycast thing that never ends. Lol. Oh, let's talk about game design for Polycast. Yeah, let's do that. That can be the next episode. There we go. All right. Can have a whole series on it. <laughs> making me want to go and get some alcohol. It's too early in the day for that. It'll stop oh, eventually. Can... Is this? Theoretically. Theoretically. That, that's okay. I can fill the space. I have no problem. Oh. At well, least I got well, stopped. Or are, 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 are there's that. Okay. <laughs> Civilization 4, 5, 6, and beyond are sound clips. Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net.